Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Tonight I'm going to be talking from Exodus chapter 3, and we'll actually be going into chapter 4, so you're getting a bit of a bonus. This is a familiar story. For, for probably everybody here and anybody listening, I could be wrong, but the, the Exodus, the children of Israel being freed uh, from Pharaoh in Egypt and going to the Promised Land, is a familiar story. So I'm going to pretend that it's not familiar. Um, but at the same time, I'm going to try to bring some things out from the story that can be takeaways from us, so that it's not just a nice story, but it's a story that's in Scripture for a reason, which I believe that it is. So let's begin. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Then he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush doesn't burn? And 40 years had gone by from the time that Moses had fled Egypt. To being here. When he fled, he thought he had a plan of some kind to free his people. It either was not a good plan or he never got to it. Instead, he ended up killing an overseer. Um, the children of Israel, those that recognized him, did not recognize him as somebody who was one of them, as somebody who would help them. And, and the Egyptians saw him as a fugitive, a murderer, a traitor. So he ran. And I believe, as I said back then, that he ran with the idea that he would come back and do something to free his people. But that did not happen. Instead, he helped out some young ladies, get, get some water, married one of them, became a shepherd, the very thing that the Egyptians disdained, um, the very thing that the children of Israel were known for. And for decades came and went until today, until this flame of fire and a bush that looked like it was burning, but it wasn't because none of the wood was being consumed. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So here God is, he's identified himself as the very same God of his fathers. And how many years was it since he'd 
heard somebody else say the words, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It could have been a very long time. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of the people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry, and that's my people who are in Egypt, because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So, the God comes to him and gives him the very job that he thought that he would do 40 years ago. And here he is, he's being assigned it, specifically. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out from Egypt, they shall serve, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Seems Moses is giving God some pushback on this, huh? Questioning, uh, questioning a few things. Maybe questioning himself, questioning God. The same God who appeared in this burning bush that wasn't consumed. Asking how to refer to you when God had already referred to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Wouldn't that be enough? I guess not. We press on. Then God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. I am who I am is a big deal. I'm not going to spend that much time on it, but it does appear throughout Scripture as how God refers to himself. When Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, the people around him picked him, picked up stones to stone him because they knew what he was saying at that point, that he was referring to himself as God. God who exists, he self-exists. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't need anyone to prop him up and keep him going. He always was and always is. And that's the name that God gave to Moses in addition to 
the familiar God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me saying, I surely visited you and have seen what is done to you in Egypt, and I have said I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. So God's saying this to him. On the one hand, God has come speaking to him, appearing to him. But on the other hand, he's questioning. He's questioning himself. Now he's, I'm sure what's going through his mind, he hasn't said anything yet, is these people from whom I fled and the last words they spoke to me were rejection. I'm going to go to the elders and show up and I'm going to say, hey, let's go talk to Pharaoh. And they're going to do it. That had to be what was going through his mind, but let's press on. Uh, We're at verse 18, and God is still speaking. And they will heed your voice, and you shall come, and you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now, please, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No! Not even by a mighty hand, so I will stretch out my hand, and I will strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go, that you will, shall not go empty-handed, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely, of the one who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and of clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Huh? Okay, Moses is still listening to this. He's trying to get past the fact that he has to go speak to the elders and convince them, hey, let's go. We're gonna, I'm going to go talk to Pharaoh. I want you guys to come with me, and we're going to ask him to let us go, okay? He's thinking about that. Now, now God's adding something else. Oh, and, and when you leave, the people will be able to ask their neighbors for stuff, valuable stuff, gold, silver, clothing, not just like everyday clothing, but the good stuff. And they'll, they'll give it to them. And the people will come out with all this stuff. It, it seems like it almost doesn't fit in the story, and it's a detail, yet it does come to pass. And it's here. So we see that it's here, and we will see later on that it did come to pass. And that brings us into chapter 4. And Moses has been listening to God, and he has some concerns, which he's going to relate, starting with verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose, suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, well, the Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, well, what's that in your hand? And he said, a rod. You know, I should have brought a rod. 
if I'd had a rod. You know how Pastor Joe, like, he does, like, the chainsaw and he brings his other stuff? I should have, I should have had a rod here. I'm sorry. But he said, the Lord said to Moses, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Smart man, right? Then God said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Huh? Really? He just jumped away. So, so he reached out his hand, and he, he caught it, and he was probably grabbing the very tip, and it became a rod in his hand. that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So God's answering Moses' concerns. He's giving him something that he can do to show his bona fides, to show that he is somebody who came from God. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. So he took his hand and he put him in in his bosom, sort of under his robe, and when he took it out, his hand was leprous, like snow. Think of it as taking, like, flour and dusting your hand. Wouldn't that freak you out? It freaked me out. I mean, you take it, you pull it out. Ah! But then he said, put your hand in your bosom again, and he did put his hand in his bosom again, and he drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. So that's two signs that he can give them. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. And the water that you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Moses isn't done. Then Moses says to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who made the man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what to say. I believe that this was a very valid concern. I believe that Moses had trouble speaking, speaking publicly and maybe even speaking to people in certain situations. I think it led to the lack of a conspiracy when he wanted to help out his people 40 years prior. He didn't talk to anybody And I think he had trouble with it. And here, he's been spending, he's spent the last 40 years with mostly, what, sheep. Okay? And and a few people that he sees every day. And then maybe some people he'd see every once in a great while. Sheep, every day. And now God wants him to go talk to the elders of Israel and to the Pharaoh. And God's doing his best to reassure him, and God's best is very good indeed. But Moses is not done. Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand 
of whomever else you may send, which is a very polite way of saying, God, please send somebody else. I can't do it. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now, you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. So God's letting Moses off a little bit. He's going to let Aaron be his mouthpiece. And we also see that during this time that there's been some contact between um, the family of Moses and um, Aaron, I believe. I mean, it could be that Aaron's coming up for the first time, but it doesn't sound like it. First takeaway from this story, and not stopping there, because that's the conversation that he had, is that God speaks to us. Like that? Not anymore, not usually, but God still does speak to us. Okay. And there's a second takeaway. What he says, we may not want to hear. Okay. Now, when I've heard stories like this, or have read them, I thought to myself, particularly when I was younger, if God was talking to me like that, well, I would listen to him. If somebody came to me and said, Bill, Bill, I have a task for you. I'd listen. I want you to do this, but don't do that. I'd say, yes, Lord, and I'd obey, wouldn't I? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I would. Maybe I wouldn't. You see, God is perfect in his communication to us. However he communicates to us, we, as people, are not perfect. We are sinful. So the track record of humans listening to God in the Bible is not a good one. It is a mixed bag. You get some who listen and some who don't. Certainly Adam and Eve, but I'm going to put them aside because that's a familiar story. And you can say, well, it's at the beginning and you had this serpent kind of fooling them and, and I'm not really going to count that. Okay, well, let's look at some other examples. And I'm going to throw angels in here too. Okay, reason why I'm going to do that is God sometimes speaks through angels and angels are beings who, when they come and they appear, they appear, and I was talking about this in children's ministry on Sunday, usually the first thing they say is, don't be afraid, because of how terrifying they are in appearance. Okay? So I'm going to count that too. Okay? You don't have to flip here. You can just read it. If you want to flip, be my guest. It'll be a Bible drill. <clears throat> so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. 
And what did Cain do? He killed his brother right after this. Okay? God speaks. Cain does the opposite. Balaam. Balaam was a prophet. And uh, he was called upon by the leadership of the Midianite people, or Moab people, I'm sorry. I'm getting my M's confused. Um, to curse the children of Israel. And, and God had some specific instructions for him. And repeated specific instructions for him. And this is towards the end of it, when God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men, that is the men of Moab, come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. And so what's wrong with this? God said, if the men come to call you, rise and go with them. Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and then went with the princes of Moab. So he had intent on his mind. Okay, he didn't wait. He packed up and he went because he had something in his mind and it wasn't obeying God. And from here we get the familiar story of the donkey that wouldn't move and Balaam trying to get it to move and beating it up, and the donkey talking to him and saving Balaam's life because there was an angel that was going to kill him. So that didn't go well. Jeremiah chapter 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord, behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a youth. Some more polite, you know, that's great, God, please send somebody else. Okay. Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish, and from the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid a fee and went down into it and to go with them to Tarshish and from the presence of the Lord, as if you can get on a boat and leave the presence of the Lord. And the boat that's going in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And he ended up meeting a great fish and being swallowed up and being transported by that fish to Nineveh. So there are stories, I'm not referring to them, where God did speak to people and they did obey, but it's a mixed bag, so I'm focusing on the ones where God spoke and the people did not obey or seemed to be initially unwilling, as in the case of Jeremiah. Zacharias. This time it is an angel. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense, because he's in the temple. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit 
even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. So God appearing to us is a mixed bag. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. He was trying sign language. Uh, ever, anybody see any clips from the uh, funeral of Nelson Mandela? There, there was a guy behind him, behind the funeral, the, um, doing what looked to be sign language, except that it wasn't sign language. He was doing this. And, and um, my brother is hearing impaired. He wears hearing aids, and he, does, he, he signs. I don't, because he learned after he, moved, he, he went to college, he learned, and I never got to be bilingual like that. But um, it made them all mad. But... I can imagine Zechariah is like that. He's trying to motion as to what happened, but he couldn't because he wasn't, he's used to talking. And so he was gesturing. He was like, speechless until John was born. So God does speak to us. Now, now he speaks to us uh, through the Bible, most of the time, through the Bible. In Hebrews 4.12, it says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And indeed, there are many times when I have listened to preaching, or I've read the word, or I've read something in a book, and it made me uncomfortable. And sometimes I really didn't want to hear it. Even if they knew it was something I had to address in my life, I did not want to hear it. Because what he says, we may not want to hear. In 2 Timothy, it's the last letter Paul wrote, and one of the last in the New Testament. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that a man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So you get in the middle there, the reproof and correction part, that's the part that makes us uncomfortable. Well, what about prophecy? I mean, after all, we live in New Testament times, and I've been in a variety of churches. I've been in churches that have been complete cessationists. They don't believe in any kind of gifts, and I've been in churches that um, believe in the gifts, and, and they appear all the time. And I've been in a couple of churches where the gifts are really, really weird. I mean, they, they, there's all kinds of things happening, and I'm pretty sure that a lot of it wasn't God. So I've had some experience about this. I believe that 
that people do speak prophetically um, in certain situations. I don't think that helps us here. I mean, you know, the things that are said correlate with his word, and they're going to often make us uncomfortable. In the Bible, there's a New Testament prophet, Agabus. He doesn't get a lot of um, print, in, in, but he gets a couple of things. And they're very important. In chapter 11 of Acts, it says, In these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. And what a terrible thing to have to say to everybody. What kind of prophecy? Because we you know when I was a kid, it's like, wouldn't it be great to be a prophet? We give these wonderful prophecies. Well, this one was a terrible prophecy. Yet it was a good thing because one of the things that Paul did on his missionary journeys was to collect money and bring it back to Jerusalem so they could buy food for the church. So that was a good thing. It was, it was an advanced warning. Agabus shows up again, chapter 21, as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and when he came to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his hands on his feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And that was Agabus again. And I am sure that was troubling to just about everybody who heard it. Everybody except for maybe Paul, who was probably, he may have been saying, yes, I'm going to Rome. I'm going to Rome, and I don't even have to go there. They're going to take me. But everybody else was upset. So being a prophet, you may have to deliver a difficult message. Listening to prophecy, it, it may be a challenging thing. And what about other gifts? Word of wisdom, word of knowledge. And I, they're different. I know they're different, but I, I, I think when God speaks to us, certainly He can provide encouragement. Certainly He can provide um, strength. There's a lot of things that God can provide that are positive, but among the positive thing God provides for us is is sometimes things that challenge us, which is what I'm focusing on today. And so I don't want to say, you know, I think anybody who's read the Bible at all knows that there's a lot of other parts of the Bible that are encouraging and that talk about good things that are happening in the future. So I'm not discounting any of that. I'm just saying that there are times when God does speak to us that are going to make us uncomfortable. When I was in my early 20s, I, I mentioned this before, but you may not have heard it. I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm wanting to follow Christ. I'm, um, my brother Jeff's living with me, and we're living with my father and the woman who was my stepmother at the time, and also my sister, Becky, who was like grammar school, eight, nine years old, maybe seven. And I'm, I'm praying because I'm troubled because my father and my stepmother are alcoholics and they're both drinking at this time. So it was kind of this alcoholic circus that I lived in where there was a lot of verbal abuse and, and threats of other kinds of abuse. And, and Jeff and I did our best, and it was successful, thank God, to keep Becky away from some of the craziness but it was very stressful for me because I'm, I'm, we're working and we're, we're going to college and you know going to church and then we get this stuff you know you know 
my dad at the time, and I love him dearly. He's still alive. Um, he's, he's, I don't think he's drinking anymore. I don't think he has been. And we have a pretty good relationship. So, but at the time, this is what he was doing. And I'm driving and I'm praying and I'm like, God, and it, I, I want to get out of there. And I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying. And I was like, but I know that, you know, the time to go, you will open the doors and only at that time. And that's when I'll leave. And I really shouldn't be trying to leave until then. Huh? What? Huh? Because I'm praying and, and that came out. That wasn't me. And I had to think about that. It's like, wow, you mean I have to stay? God? I did. And a, a couple of years later, the doors opened up when it was time for me to go, and I left. And I'm thankful that I, I obeyed because um, my sister, and my, my brother and I were able to shield her from some of the things that were going on. Not everything, but when I spoke to her several years ago, she didn't remember a lot of it. And, and she was old enough to, so that was good. But it's an example of something that was good, but I, didn't, I had trouble with it. I had to deal with it. I had to decide, okay, God, you're going to do this. I'm uncomfortable. I'm going to obey you. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12.8. It's more about the, the, just what we've been talking about, wisdom, knowledge. For one is, to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another a word of knowledge through the same Spirit. And I don't think it happens very much, and I can count it maybe on one hand. And once was with me, but then other times when I've had to talk to other people, I've sat on it, sort of like, okay, let's just see if this is maybe me, maybe this is just me thinking, maybe this isn't really God. And it wouldn't go away, and it wouldn't go away, and I had to go tell that person. And it turned out that it, it could have been something very useful and encouraging, but it, in my in these cases, it wasn't. It was something challenging to them. And I had to do it. Okay. And that's not a bad thing, but it's not pleasant when you're on the receiving end of it. And then, of course, through the exposition of the word is too. I mean, they're, they're the best sermons, the ones I remember, aren't the ones I think were the best sermons. The ones I remember are the ones that did things to me. When Pastor Joe was going through Second Tim, uh, First Timothy, um, there was a chap. It was difficult for me because I was being challenged on a weekly basis about something because God was doing a work in my life, which was very, very good, but it didn't feel good at the time. So, yes, God does speak to us. And just like Moses didn't want to hear what God was saying to him, sometimes we may not want to hear what God is saying to us. And we still have to listen to and heed his word. You know, in James it says, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his face in the mirror. When he observes himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. And we don't want to do that. We want to listen to God. If we are, fo- if we are Christians and following Jesus, we want to listen to him. We don't want to walk away and not remember and I think that can happen if you don't want to hear something and say somebody's up here talking, click, and you, you walk away and you don't remember anything and you don't apply it to your life. But we want to be doers, not hearers. 
Um, and the gospel itself, for people who don't hear it, I think everybody here, I, I believe that you're all Christians. It, I could be surprised that one of you isn't, but I, the ones I, I see I recognize. But it says, therefore, to those who believe, he is precious, but those who are, to those who are disobedient, the stones the builders rejected have become the key, chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. So the gospel can be compared to a rock that's in your path that you could trip over. It's the kind of thing that you know, people would say, why can't they move that rock? But it's there for a reason. And to some people, that's the gospel because they don't want to hear that there's nothing that they can do to save themselves, that they need to trust in somebody else, put themselves into the hands of God and follow him. They'd rather do something to make themselves acceptable, and they can't. So, you know, the repenting, I mean, yes, people repent of sins that they do, but the, a lot of the repenting is of depending on yourself. And um, if you want to depend on yourself and you're hearing the gospel, that could be something that you don't want to hear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, and that's um, one of the most familiar verses and, and sort of nutshells what God did for us. Uh, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, sinless life, dying for our sins, but being raised again and so that we can have newness in life by uh, our faith in him. And the kind of faith that isn't like a, um, oh, yeah, I believe that, that's good. The kind of faith where you're wearing a parachute and you're, you're going to test your belief um, because you're going to say, I believe this parachute will save me because I'm going to jump out of the plane now. It's important if you don't know that, then everything else I've said doesn't really matter until, um, until this, the gospel of Jesus. And then everything else is going to have meaning. So um, please be aware of when um, God's speaking to you through his word, um, through people, and, and through um, sometimes circumstances. It could be songs that have something in it. Um, especially if you keep hearing the same thing over and over again and especially if it makes you uncomfortable because it might be a sign that you need to pay attention to it. Okay. All right, um, join me in prayer. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.